They say Islam is the solution for everything. It takes care of all your life and the one to come. Sexuality, political economy, banking, diet, relations with other religions, everything. It's a total solution. What is creepy about the word total? Welcome to the Anti-Theist Atheist Podcast. Today we feature Christopher Hitchens' opening remarks in a debate versus Tariq Ramadan, recorded October 5th, 2010 at the 92nd Street Y in New York to address the question, is Islam a religion of peace? But first, here is Steve from Atheist News. Welcome to Atheist News. Here's what's been happening. A 16-year-old Boy Scout in Monument, Colorado, raised $50,000 to install a memorial for veterans in a publicly owned cemetery. As it turns out, it was an oops moment, because one, the monument is blatantly Christian, and therefore a violation of the separation of church and state. And two, military logos are embedded into it, also a violation of the Department of Defense's policies. Mikey Weinstein of the Military Religious Freedom Foundation sent the mayor of Monument a letter explaining the problems with the memorial and asked him to fix it. Ten days later, he got a response from Christian legal group First Liberty saying that he owed the 16-year-old an apology for criticizing him, even though Weinstein never did that, and also explained that the town sold that tiny parcel of land carved out from the public cemetery to the family of the Boy Scout after receiving the letter from him. What First Liberty thought was a loophole now just opens up so many more problems with Weinstein explaining that the sale had better been at fair market value, that visitors to the cemetery have to now somehow be informed that that particular parcel is private property that public maintenance funds can't be used on that tiny piece of the cemetery because taxpayers can't be forced to fund it. And finally, that in spite of their attempt to get around the separation of church and state aspect, the memorial, private or public, still can't have the logos from the branches of the military on it. First Liberty has yet to respond, no doubt thunderstruck, that their own stupidity got them and the town in deep shit. A new Gallup poll released this past week shows that church attendance in the U.S. is at an all-time low, dipping under 50% of the population for the first time since they started asking the question back before 1940. Gallup dived deep into this continuing trend and found that this number has increased not just because of the rise of the non-religious, but also because a lot of religious people are abandoning organized religion. And every single demographic has dropped, including the elderly and the conservative. Gallup admits that the pandemic has helped this trend along, but stress that it was trending in this direction long before. Anthony Joseph Giannette, known by the online handle Baked Alaska, was one of the people who stormed the U.S. Capitol on January 6th. He's seen on video calling Capitol Police officers oathbreakers and pieces of shit, as well as entering an office inside the Capitol building. Before his trial is set to begin, Baked Alaska's lawyer asked for leniency for his client, 
saying that he should be allowed to wait for his trial without a GPS monitoring device because, as he put it, he is a product of a Christian upbringing and was schooled in a private Christian institution. The judge signed off on this, and he now doesn't need to wear an ankle monitor while awaiting his trial. David Evans, pastor of the Harmony Free Will Baptist Church in Ada, Oklahoma, was shot dead in his home last week. His wife Christy said she woke up to a pop sound, and there he was with a hole in his head next to her. When police interviewed her, however, the story changed. A lot. As it turns out, the pastor and his wife were having regular threesomes with a man named Khalil Square. When Pastor Evans went on a missionary trip to Mexico, Christy Evans would have monogamous sex with Square, where she would then convince him to kill her husband. Both Christy Evans and Khalil Square were arrested and charged with murder. Daniel Wolf, who works as a Sunday school teacher for the Temple Israel near Tamid in Cleveland, Ohio, was arrested and charged with multiple counts related to possessing child pornography. He immediately posted the $10,000 bond and was made to wear an ankle monitor. The Jewish school placed him on unpaid administrative leave following his arrest. Dante's Inferno was written between 1304 and 1307 by Italian poet Dante Alighieri. It's a story that uses Christian mythology as its baseline about the struggle between heaven and hell. In a new edition translated into the Dutch language, it was edited to remove mention of the Islamic prophet Muhammad altogether. In the story, Muhammad makes a brief appearance, and he's in hell for spreading his religion Islam, which caused strife in the world. This censored edition of Dante's Inferno will simply remove the passages he's in to not offend anyone. More than 800 years after it was written. Gulalai Ismail, a human rights activist from Pakistan who founded the group Aware Girls, won the Andrew Blaine Memorial Fund for Human Rights Defenders two weeks back. It was also announced that she is the first ambassador ever appointed for Humanists International after finishing a three-year run as a member of their board. Ismail was forced to escape Pakistan in 2019 for speaking out against sexual assaults happening in the Muslim country. And a couple of weeks back, right after I filmed the last episode of Atheist News, it was reported that a public middle school student in West Virginia recorded their teacher proselytizing during health class. And it was really blatant, telling the students to avoid sex before marriage because the Christian Bible said so, and so on. The Freedom From Religion Foundation sent a letter to the school, and usually, that'd be the end of it. The school would tell the teacher to stop, and everyone could move on. So I wasn't too worried about missing the story on the last episode of Atheist News. I could just report on it on this episode. Since that time, a Facebook group was formed to out the family of that student and harass them. As it turns out, the father of the child is Owen Morgan, otherwise known as Telltale, a prominent atheist YouTuber. And because his family's personal information was made public, I mean, they went so far as to post the 12-year-old's personal phone number on this Facebook group page. Morgan and his family have now been forced to evacuate from the state for their own personal safety. The Facebook page has since been deleted, 
but Telltale explained in a video that roughly 45% of the town's population had joined the group before it was taken down. Also in West Virginia, last week the State House of Representatives passed a bill that restricted transgender middle and high school students from participating in sports based on their gender. A pretty despicable restriction to put on these children. Way to go, West Virginia. So what was their reasoning for doing this? Well, Representative Roger Conley went on Facebook and explained that if a trans person identifies as a different gender, then that implies that his Christian God made a mistake, and that his God doesn't make mistakes. Didn't his God once drown most of the world because of a mistake he made? In Maui, Hawaii, the King's Cathedral and Chapels, an evangelical Christian church, was identified as the source of a COVID outbreak that hit at least 55 people. The Department of Health was so concerned about this church, they sent out a press release warning people to stay away and asked the church to shut down for two weeks. Pastor James Morocco refused to stop church services and said that when the hospitals see COVID cases rise, they don't shut down the hospitals. Yes, this pastor did just compare his church to a hospital. In Jessore, Bangladesh, Imam Imran Hossein was arrested for the rape of a six-year-old child. He taught Arabic in a mosque that was right next to a primary school, and the victim's father notified the police and filed a report under the Women and Children Repression Prevention Act. Locals actually rounded up the runaway imam and handed him over to the police without incident. John Griffin, pastor of the Riverbend Community Church in Ormond Beach, Florida, was arrested in January on charges related to possessing child pornography. He also had an explicit online relationship with a 15-year-old girl in Arkansas. He posted bond and was freed until his trial began. Griffin was just arrested again, this time on charges related to distributing child pornography. In Pakistan, Taki Shah went to a local festival on his motorcycle with a friend. A man on foot knocked him off his bike and proceeded to kill him with an axe. Shah was a Shia cleric who was accused of blasphemy, and the man that killed him knew him and played volleyball with him. The killer fled the scene, but was apprehended by police not long after. Last year, we reported on Sonia Tabizada and how she called up the Georgetown Visitation Preparatory School, which is a somewhat LGBTQ-friendly Christian private school, and threatened to blow them up and kill the kids there. Well, this past week, she pled guilty to hate crime charges, and the judge set her free for time served. The maximum sentence is about 20 years. She served barely a fraction of that. Lil Nas X debuted a music video recently where he slides down a pole straight to hell and gives Satan a lap dance. He also partnered with a small company in Brooklyn to sell 666 pairs of Satan shoes, a parody of Jesus shoes sold by Nike that contained holy water except the Satan shoes had a small amount of blood mixed in with the ink. A judge ordered future sales of the shoes to be halted immediately after Nike sued over the usage of their swoosh logo. A setback, 
But Lil Nas X had the last laugh after his song hit number one on the Billboard charts. Nicholas Merriweather, a professor at the Shawnee State University in Ohio, refused to call students by their preferred gender pronouns, citing his Christian faith. This is because the university had sent out instructions to the staff telling them to do so back in 2016, and Merriweather refused, and in 2018, wouldn't call a student by their preferred pronoun. After several legal back and forths last week, an appeals court, made up of conservative-appointed judges, ruled in favor of Nicholas Merriweather. The court said that the professor could call his students whatever he wanted to without reprimand because of free speech. So by that logic, he could call his students pieces of shit, and the university couldn't fire him for it. At the Bethel Baptist Church in Uniontown, Pennsylvania, the church held a raffle where the winner would receive a $200 voucher meant to go towards a fishing trip with guest pastor Dan Lamb in Canada. A woman won the voucher. Pastor Brian Kelly said, Sorry, this is a man's trip only. The next name pulled was Emmy Smianato, another woman who would then be told she wasn't eligible for the prize because of her gender. After the results of this discriminatory raffle was made public, the church responded to the online backlash, explaining that women weren't eligible because they might make false claims of sexual assault if they went on this fishing trip. Rabbi Yoel Roth of Brooklyn, New York, is under investigation by the New York City Police Department for allegedly arranging marriages for boys and girls as young as 15 years old. Relatives of the followers of the Hasidic rabbi consider him to be a cult leader who has brainwashed the children involved. Rabbi Roth disputes the claims made against him, in spite of some photographic evidence, saying it's all been made up by his enemies. Students from 25 different colleges and universities in the United States sued the Department of Education this past week for giving taxpayer dollars to Christian private schools that discriminate against the LGBTQ. While the students understand that these private institutions can set their discriminatory policies, they make the point that the government doesn't have to give them money. It's hoped that under the Biden administration, funding of these Christian colleges can be severed immediately. The Pleiades, also known as the Seven Sisters, has a robust story in Greek mythology. Zeus had turned the Seven Sisters into stars to escape Orion, who wanted to rape them. Over in Australia, Aboriginal tribes had their own mythology about the same group of stars, seven young girls who were in the sky escaping a hunter. Researchers noticed that there were stories from around the world about the Pleiades, the Seven Sisters, except we can only see six stars. Researchers may have found a solution to this mystery. About 100,000 years ago, the Seven Sisters were able to be seen with the naked eye as seven different stars. But over time, one star, Pleione, moved so close to another star, Atlas, that it now only looks like six stars. But the stories of seven stars had been passed down throughout cultures around the world that no one questioned why they saw only six, or some of them explained one sister away in their mythology over time. The state constitution of Tennessee bars atheists from holding public office. 
Another section also bars priests from doing the same thing. State Senator Mark Pody introduced an amendment this week to change that. But just the part about the priests. Regardless, an atheist in Tennessee can hold public office no matter what their state constitution says, because barring them from doing so would be a violation of the United States Constitution, which obviously supersedes any state constitution. Stanley Thompson, former pastor of the Tomsbrook Church in Edinburgh, Virginia, was arrested and charged with sexual battery of a child under 13 years old. Thompson had resigned abruptly from the church shortly before his arrest, and he's being held without bond. We previously talked about how in the state of Alabama, in order to register to vote, people had to sign a statement that includes a promise to a god character from an undisclosed religious mythology. The Freedom From Religion Foundation sent the state government a letter explaining how this was a violation of the separation of church and state. They responded that they couldn't do anything about it, that it was up to the state legislature to change the language on the voter registration. So on behalf of several Alabama citizens, the Freedom From Religion Foundation sued the state. And what do you know? This week, they did do something. Now, there's a box that an atheist can check that says they decline to include the phrase, so help me God, in their oath. The Freedom From Religion Foundation dropped the lawsuit, which they really shouldn't have been forced to file to begin with, but it also demonstrates how important their work is. Thank you, Steve. You'll find Steve by searching Atheist News on YouTube. And if you want to hear more Atheist News on this podcast, please consider donating to Steve's Patreon at patreon.com slash atheistnews. Without any further throat clearing, here is this week's featured opening speech from Christopher Hitchens. Like a number of people who are students of religion, I've spent a lot of time lately, as you should if you have the opportunity, I recommend it very highly, with Professor Dermot McCulloch's uh, History of Christianity. Uh, marvelous work of scholarship and literature, written by a mainstream believer. Uh, extraordinarily broad and deep, in which he ponders one very important question, uh, the only one I've got time for now. What happened to the word Christendom? Remember, there used to be such a term. It used to extend across the world, and the hope is that it would extend even further. And it was unironically used to mean those areas of human civilization, and areas yet to be civilized, of course, where the word of Jesus Christ reigned or would reign. And it's all gone. The word is never used except historically or sarcastically now. And McCulloch doesn't say it ended because of the Crusades, though he could, he didn't. Crusades didn't kill it. Not because of slavery, mandated by Christianity, that didn't kill it either. Uh, nor the mass murder of colonial subjects in the yet to be Christianized world, that wasn't sufficient. So it didn't really end, he said, till 1914, when all the Christian empires of the world, Austria, Hungary, Germany, France, Britain, France is a slight exception to this, but only a slight one, and Russia, 
all of them commanded by Christian emperors and calling upon their subjects as Christians, went to war with each other and very nearly destroyed the whole human civilization and certainly reduced it to a point where we can't guess where we might be if it hadn't been for this extraordinary outbreak of barbarism. And out of that came the terrors of fascism and of Stalinism, of which it was the seedbed as well. I mention this partly because I want to maintain that there's no such thing as a religion of peace by definition. And second to point out, and that its best historian has to admit something that if, if I was a Christian would make me <clears throat> humiliated. But because there was another empire involved in that war, the Ottoman Empire, which also came to an end, its other name was the Caliphate, the Muslim Caliphate. It went to war on the side of German and Austrian imperialism and Hungarian imperialism, and it lost not just the war, having proclaimed a worldwide jihad against Christianity, except for German and Austrian and Hungarian Christianity, which were its allies. And it didn't just lose the war, but by 1924 had been dissolved by the Turkish leadership, by Ataturk, it lost the caliphate. And that's the only one that still has supporters. The other Christian and religious empires have all gone. But the caliphate still has fans, not just in the Muslim world, sometimes referred to by Muslims as the Dar al-Islam, the house of Islam, but also in what some Muslims call the Dar al-Hab, the house of war, the part of the world that isn't yet Muslim. There are, there are caliphate clubs in London now and Berlin and elsewhere, quite important ones. And what I want to know is why that is and what we should think about it. Believers in this fantasy have, Laurie's spared me the need to say much of this, have committed extraordinary atrocities in Istanbul, in Madrid, in India, in the Philippines, in Indonesia, and of course in our own fair city. Um, and the pretexts for it vary. They can be, the excuse for the mass murder can be that Australia has helped East Timor become independent from Indonesia. They can be that Newsweek has printed a full story about the desecration of a supposedly holy book. You never know what it's going to be next. But everyone knows to be careful about it. And everyone understands that the threat of violence that backs it is believable. And that's my opening position. Now you will say, I can hear it already being said, you may be saying it already to yourselves because the defense mechanisms kick in. And in any case, Laurie already said it for you. And I hope Professor Ramadan won't feel the need to say it again. But if he does, fair enough. <laughs> you may say, ah, that's not the real Islam. Those aren't real Muslims. Now, isn't that a fascinating objection? Does, is there anyone in this room, I exempt Professor Ramadan because it's his turn to speak next. Is anyone in this room who would care to arbitrate that question? Who is to say? Where is the authority that defines who is a true son of the prophet or true interpreter of his work? Part of the problem to begin with, and it's part of the problem because it is a religion, is that it's perfectly true to say we don't know who the true Muslims are. How right that is, who, do, who does speak for it. Only the second problem with defining Islam as peaceful, only the second problem with defining it as peaceful has to do with the fact that it's highly fissile and highly schismatic, that there is a civil war going on within it, the religion of peace, 
as we speak, at least one civil war between the votaries of this religion of peace is already taking place, and some of it is exported outside that world into ours. Very salient fact. The first reason, though, is this. Islam makes very large claims for itself, very large claims indeed. It claims to be the last and final religion, the last and final Revelation. When you see bumper stickers, everyone says you can't reduce major things to a bumper sticker. It's not my idea to have bumper stickers saying Islam is the solution. It's a well-known slogan, actually, of parties associated with the Muslim Brotherhood. They say Islam is the solution for everything. It takes care of all your life and the one to come. Sexuality, political economy, banking, diet, relations with other religions, everything. It's a total solution. What is creepy about the word total? I hope I don't have to tell an audience like this. It's the first five letters of the word totalitarian. It's absolute. It's absolute. It's all-inclusive. It's, it's unanswerable. And oddly, for a religion that makes such large claims, notice another thing about Islam. It doesn't particularly like having these claims questioned or scrutinized. In other words, as there, just as there is with all religions, an inverse relationship between the claims they make and the evidence they can produce for them, you must have noticed that, with Islam, a younger religion, and perhaps therefore more in its first flush, there's an extraordinarily strong willingness to say that any challenge to its absolutist claims is by definition profane. And profanity and blasphemy can be the antecedent to very severe punishment and often are, for Muslims and for non-Muslims. And this is not a road of peace in my submission. That's my first point completed. Um, the claim to govern everything from hygiene to sex and the afterlife, which contains detailed prescriptions for the good and bad versions of itself, again strikes me as somewhat totalitarian. And they're both based upon two very, very questionable and not very peaceful concepts. One is the idea of a perfect human being, the Prophet Muhammad, and the other is the idea of a perfect book, the Quran, the recitation. Now, the, the category perfect human primate or mammal and the category flawless book that could possibly not use any kind of change, revision, or editing are categories that do not exist. There are no members of these categories. Therefore, any challenge to this faith is bound to lead to heresy and to schism, and does. And just as all forms of absolutism and totalitarianism, leader worship and revealed truth, unalterable text, always do because they can break, perhaps, but they cannot bend. And thus, the latent potential of violence with, between them, among them, as well as within them, is very great. And at any, danger, at any moment, someone is in danger of being accused of being an apostate or an unbeliever. <coughs> this week, the Coptic Pope of Egypt, Pope Shenouda, who represents 10 million Egyptians, was hustled onto Egyptian TV. He's not asked on all that often. I don't think he was even asked on this time. I think he was told he'd better come on. Why is the leader of Egyptians, huge Christ, Egypt's huge Christian minority suddenly compelled to make a TV appearance? Because one of his bishops had said in an interview 
that he thought that some of the verses of the Quran showed signs of having been added later on and to have been later accretion. And Pope Shenouda was asked, forced on the television to say, it's not that that didn't happen, it's it couldn't have happened. It shouldn't even be discussed. So that it, is, it is, has to be claimed even by non-Muslim subjects of a Muslim state that there is, after all, because no Christian claims this about the Bible anymore, no Jew claims it about the Pentateuch. After all, yes, there is just one book that's completely word and letter perfect from the first time it was not even written down, but recited. Now, demands that you believe the impossible do not lead to peaceful outcomes. <laughs> Nor do they lead to peaceful or tolerant regimes. And I'm not going to ask you which Muslim country you would like to live in. I don't know whether uh, Professor Ramana will tell us which one he would pick if he had to, because I don't have to ask you a question like that, because it's already in your mind. Can you wind up now? Yes, I can. Um, I can, yes, uh, and will. Um, shall, shall, in fact. <laughs> Sexual repression doesn't lead to peace. The idea that women are inferior to men is a profound cause of unease, let's say the least of it. Um, all religions make some form of this claim. Islam seems to make it less apologetically than most. Uh, claims that the world will come to an end in an apocalyptic form, which will lead to the Victory of one religion or another, not peaceful either. Uh, it's possible, perhaps, I haven't exhausted all my remarks, that the endless teaching of battle stories to children and, and the stories of lethal feuds from 7th century Arabia don't lead to peace, or the forcing of children to memorize and retell such stories by rote doesn't lead to peace either. Ah, it's arguable that peace isn't attainable at all. Uh, it may be arguable in some forms that uh, and sometimes in places that religion isn't even desirable. But it will not come by the fanatical adoption of a man-made text and a man-made supreme leader. Nothing but war and tyranny has ever come from the adoption of formulae like these. The only way to moral and intellectual satisfaction, even temporary, perhaps only temporary, but of any kind at all, it comes to those who are willing to take the great risk of thinking for themselves at all hazards and trying to share the benefits of that tolerance and that open-mindedness with others. And with that, for now, I, I'll rest my case. Thank you very much.